Well, thank you, folks, for uh, for coming back very much on time, and we. Uh, we're going to move into the next part of the program uh, with Danny Munnelly and Matt Bacon from AR Studio, uh, based here at the Inspire Centre, and I'm sure that at any point in time they'll be happy to answer questions post our uh, presentation now. I'm here with a roving mic and very happy to keep passing the mic around through the audience, so thank you very much. Thanks very much. Morning. Um, we're going to just do two things for the next half hour. Uh, we're going to spend about just 10 minutes introducing the AR Studio and talking about what we've been looking at in, in this project here, here at Inspire. And then we're going to go into some, some demonstration and some hands-on activities. So we've got some things to actually try out as well. Uh, so just to give you a bit of background, um, Matt and I are based uh, here at UC. We both work in a teaching and learning centre, um, but we spend one day of our time over here at Inspire working on a project called AR Studio that we received funding for uh, about 18 months ago, almost two years now. Um, it, this project is, is something that's quite close, close to us, um, close to our interests really. It's something we've been involved with for a long time and for, for myself I've been involved in learning spaces for, for quite some time. Looking at environments, looking at looking at where we learn um, and, and how, we, how the space affects the environment that we learn in. Um, and now that the mobile technology has, has become so, so prolific and so, 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 um, so, so widespread, how that's actually changing the environments that we learn in. And these pictures here explain that quite well. That image up in the top left is where I first started teaching back in the, in the Victorian era. Um, not quite that old, but it was actually that room. Uh, that room was, was up on the top floor of an art school in Manchester in the UK. And that was a photo from just, just the turn of the century, 18th, 19th century, of art students from the local mill there uh, learning how to draw and paint. And that environment to me is a really rich environment. It was, you know, there was all sorts of objects and artifacts and activities going on and rich learning that over the years gradually changed and turned into, you can see in the bottom left, an industrial model, design, technology, teaching digital skills in this kind of rows of students. Same room, same place, and quite depressing, really. Um, and then down at the bottom right is some work that we did last year with the first camp that we ran around augmented reality. And what we found was people starting to engage and work with each other with the mobile devices situated around objects and artifacts that started to resemble that first photo again. Which, started, which to me triggered a triggered you know an important kind of reflection that that really these spaces are quite important that we create and the mobile technologies that we use can help us to actually claim space and actually rethink it in a new way. So that's a little bit of background in terms of my interest in learning spaces and where that's come from and why the AR projects become quite quite close to to our to our interests really. Um, so the AR Studio was funded by Office for Learning and Teaching. It's a two-year funded project and it, it basically has provided us a, a bit of breathing space to actually look at augmented reality, uh, to look at what it means in education, to look at what we can do with it in education, and then to actually build some commu a community practice around that to connect with the industry, to, to connect with the developers, to connect with educators, academics, teachers, and actually start to work out what AR means to us in, for the future. And AR really is... Like we heard just in the last presentation, it's just a catalyst. It's just a technology as, as, as a catalyst. Really, it's about how it changes our practice. That's, that's the interesting part. Um, this is a short video of just some of the work we've done to date. So I'll just hit that playing.
I won't subject you to the spa music in the background. <laughs> uh, but I'll just give you an idea of the kind of approach that we've taken to the AR studio. It's been a partnership with, with the participants, with the academics, with the teachers, a focus on the process. So we've been looking at areas that are, that are of interest that, that AR can help us reveal. So virtual archaeology, revealing what's out there around us. Looking at layering data sets around the world that, 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 we, that, that surrounds us. So we able to explore stars, star maps and, and trajectories of planets. Adding value to existing materials, to resources that, that already exist. So these are printed documents that the university had already published. And we were able to layer more information over the top of that in the form of video and, and interactions. And building some installation spaces. You can see this up in building one at the university. Uh, if you're coming through the main entrance, the alumni gallery um, actually has a, a wall with with photos of our alumni with them actually talking back to you, talking about what they, what they actually have done since leaving the university. You probably saw this building being built on the way in. Before it was built, we actually placed it there as a virtual building so you could explore it with an iPad and actually walk around it and see what it was going to look like. You can see a couple of ministers wandering around the car park there looking at the space. And then we ran the camps, which was all about activity and really bringing people together to explore the technology, the things that go around the technology, the scanners, the green screens, all the bits that make it make it up, um, to really to, to help build a, a community that, that, that we can work uh, together with to work out what this really means. So very much collaborative, cooperative approach to this. And we see we've used the space extensively to do that as well. That's been one of the things that supported the project in the background is having a space like this that we can just we can break out, we can use the walls, we can come up with you know a lot of the ideas and brainstorming in that way. Enough of the spa music. <laughs> Gets a bit tedious after a while. <laughs> Gotta change that. Um, so yeah, we've so that, that approach has been quite quite an interesting approach and I'm really interested in this idea of the studio being the way that we deal with technologies, the, the way that we, we, we adopt them and try to work with them and work out what they mean with the communities that, that, that matter most. Um, it's not the technology at the end of the day, it's actually the practice and the process and what we do with it that counts. So we think we've found the studio has been a good, a good way of really exploring that. And unfortunately, what, what, what we'd like to have done today was run some of the workshops, but they do take a couple of hours to, to go through. So we, we don't have the time to do the bigger workshop. We've got some time to do some smaller, smaller stuff. But the bigger workshops just give us time to try the technology, then really think about it in our own context, and then design an actual idea for how that technology would work in physics or in law or in business, and then test it with the group as a, as a prototype. And we, we have a lot, a lot of fun around that. We, we make it competitive. We have, we have prizes for the best idea and all sorts of things. Um, but today we'll just focus in on looking at some technology and we'll get some stuff out around the room. So if you've not come across, actually just a show of hands in terms of AR, just who, who, how many people are aware of augmented reality? Yeah, it's a good, good healthy number these days. When we first started, it was quite a low number. How many people have used augmented reality in some way? Good. It's getting more and more each time we do it. Um, AR is just really one of 
a, a continuum of mixed realities. So augmented reality in the sense that of a mobile device is just a layer of data that sits on top of the real world. Um, but really, that, that can, be, can be drawn out quite extensively now. So if we think about data projecting, using a data projector and projecting onto an object, that's a mixed reality. We're mixing digital data with the real world. We saw that in Melbourne when the water shortage was on. They were projecting the percentage of, of, of water left in storage containers. They were data projecting that onto the side of the, of the water tanks so you could actually see how much water was left in that tank. They did it here in Canberra with the little sign on the, on the highway as you drove down the parkway and you had, you know, the Cotter Dam is now 56% full or whatever. Now, these are mixed realities that, that we're exploring. Um, and AR is one of those mixed realities. It just has, so happens to be the one that's most associated with the mobile space. The definition, most current definition from Wikipedia, which, which pretty much captures it as, as good as anybody, um, is that it's a live, direct or indirect view of the physical real-world environment whose elements are augmented by computer-generated sensory input, such as sound, video, graphics, or GPS. So this is the live view of the world we see through the mobile device augmented with this other data. Um, that hasn't changed much since 97. If you look back at Azuma's definition, the only addition is GPS. Um, and the fact that it's happening in a mobile space. But so this isn't really a new technology. It's just, a, it's just a, an interpretation of it with, with mobile as the, as, the, as the interface. And you can see the continuum there at the bottom, Milgram and Kashino's continuum of mixed reality with virtual and real at either end and everything in between along the way. Um, it still holds up now in some way uh, as, as a way of defining mixed reality spaces. If we go back further, though, it gets quite interesting. You know, back to the 60s with Ivan Sutherland's work on head-mounted displays. Uh, these are one-ton headsets that were mounted from the ceiling that gave you a 3D view of a, of a virtual space. And you could move around in 360 degrees and look at these objects and actually touch and move them. So some of the devices would actually have a handset that would let you move these objects, these virtual objects, around. Um, so his work around head-mounted displays in 68 really you know, it was probably the first instance of, of, of a mixed reality, interact, interactive mixed reality. When we see some of the videos in a minute, you'll see there's, there's actually the same theme runs right through from that point in time. Um, Morton Helig took a different approach. He, he was looking at it from more of a cinematic um, a, a stance. So he, was one, he imagined people sitting in these machines that would expose them to all the sensors. So the, the video would be a, an image of you cycling down a San Francisco street. Wind would be blowing in your face. There would be little boxes with grass cuttings in, and you'd get the smell of grass as you go past the park, and you'd get the whole experience of the vibrations and the whole lot. Um, and he tried to scale that up, that, that reality, up to a cinema size. You know, 300 people in a cinema all having wind blown in their face and the seats vibrating and the smells. And the thing actually burnt down the, the night it opened. So not very successful, but, but a great, great story. So people have been looking at mixed realities for, for quite some time. If we go even further back, um, my favorite image, I think, the Claude Glass from 1778. Um, Claude Lorraine was a, a painter, a landscape painter. He painted in a style which was a very rich, contrasty view of a landscape. And, and really, the way of creating a, a Claude, an impression of Claude's work, was to use a, a polarized mirror and look at the landscape behind you through a mirror. And that would give you the feel of a Claude Lorraine painting. It was actually a, a, a mixed reality of, of, his, of his style. 
So this thing, they actually produced these clawed glasses. So that, you know, these people of the era would go out into the landscape, turn their back on the landscape, and, and look at look at these things, so they could view it as a as a Claude, who was very popular. This is all pre-photography, so you know the comment there from Thomas Gray, the poet, was, "If only we could fix this image, uh, you know, it would sell for a thousand dollars." And there's some real strong parallels there with Instagram, with people viewing the world through their devices and then changing the color and the style to to recreate that that feel, um, which is a really nice kind of link to to where we are now. And obviously, you keep going, keep going. Camera obscure, uh, rock art, all sorts. You know, we could, we could go back as far as we want, really. Um, but all these things have played a part in in the history of AR. Um, so I think our approach to it has always been that the technology is really is is actually not the new part to this. It's how it changes our approach to the world. That's that's the new bit, because all these technologies have been around at some point in the past. That's um, just how we how we learn from that. So we've been looking at um, some various aspects of AR, looking at how it affects us in education, how we interact with it. Uh, this is work that we that we um, that has come from Rob Manson, who works with Mob Labs in Sydney. Um, he he has a company that has developed Build AR, which is a, an Australian company um, providing a service that you can augment with. Um, these are really good view into how AR works with the devices and, and the world. And you can see there the intimate view, the personal, the private, and the public. I've got some examples of each of these, so I'll just, I'll just jump to them so we, so we can pick up on them. Piece of paper, right? Is this not the coolest thing you've ever seen? This is an augmented reality thing that you I see it on Facebook, I'll have a link in my video. And you can basically take this piece of paper and turn it, and it'll give you this little scene right there. Okay, so this um, this goes back to June 09. It was the front cover of uh, Popular Science magazine. This caught the attention of everybody around the world. All the branding, marketing people jumped on board at this point. The spikes in Google Trends show that that, that from this point forward, this this really you know this is where people wanted to, to focus their time and money. Um, it was based on some open source code. It was freely available. Um, it placed it detected an image, worked out the plane, could track it live in the camera view, and could attach a 3D object to the plane that was detected, so that as you move the actual plane around, it would render the 3D object in time. And that, that was a, very, a fairly early um, piece that went out. Um, but it was an intimate kind of interaction. It's something that's between you and the computer. It's something that you would have to sit at a computer with a camera looking back at you and hold this thing and look at yourself on the screen. So very much an intimate relationship, not something you could do in a large room like this, or in a, um, you know, there's a certain limitation to how you interact with that. This is a more personal view of the world, and one we're probably more familiar with. This is, the, this is what's happening now with us walking around, holding these phones, looking at the world around us, Instagramming the world, snapping it, you know, grabbing snippets and Snapchats and sending them around as well as, you know, in, 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 through the device, it's, it's the interaction between us, the device, and the world. And it's a very personal thing. What's nice about this example is that this augment was a, a, an art hijack that happened at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. This is a six-story art gallery in New York, and what happened was um, Manifesta, with the, with the artists group, rendered a seventh floor above the six floors, 
and put their own artwork on the seventh floor as a virtual, a virtual installation. They did it uninvited, and then they, ha they, they had their own personal opening where they invited 200 people to come to the gallery and view the new opening on the seventh floor, to which you'll see in the video the security guards running around wondering what the hell is going on with all these people looking above them with their, with their phones. Um, this, this, is, um, this is a really good example of how, how well, some of the themes that start to emerge from AR. So th this is a way of, of hijacking space that we, we think AR presents us with, a way of actually placing objects in the world without really permission for doing that. No one owns this virtual space. No, no one controls it at this point in time. So the opportunity to claim space, to place objects in context to where they're most relevant is a really powerful, a really powerful tool. We've played with this a little bit with Parliament House as well in placing things around the, the Great Hall and, and so on. We'll talk about that offline if you're interested. <laughs> um, and the public interaction, this is something that's quite interesting. It's happened in a lot of the shopping malls around, around Australia. This is a large screen that you quite often find in the center of a shopping mall. And what they've done is they've pointed the camera out into the audience um, and, they, and rendered over that a 3D object that people can then interact with. So they can see themselves in this space, actually interacting with the objects, patting them, poking them, running away from them. And you can see the engagement really is very high. They're, they're very excited, very engaged with this. The children love it. Um, it gets people's attention. So you can see the kind of positive aspects to this are very, you know, very, very interesting. Much more of a public interaction as well. So you can see the, you know, the, that, that augment starting to move away from just, from just your screen into this other, other space. Uh, and then finally, the more private view of the world. And at this point, we'd normally show Google Glasses, but I think we're probably all sick to death of Google Glasses by this point. Um, so this is a, a slightly different take on Google Glasses. This is the Meta Smart Glass. Um, it's a little bit more focused, whereas Google Glass was imagined as a way of seeing, of layering the Google experience over, our whole, over the world all the time. You know, I think they were imagining we're going to wear these things nine to five, you know, all nonstop. This is a little bit more focused, and it's focused on designers who need to actually shape and move and model and understand aspects of 3D actually in the, in the design process. So as you're going through, you're testing and, and trying out, you know, what something actually looks like, feels like, and, and, and how you can manipulate it using your hands. And it introduces another aspect of, of, of this mobile technology, which is how do you interact with it with your hands, with, with the tools that you have actually in front of you. Um, and that, that's something I'd like to, to sort of show as well. If we've got just a few minutes to show you the, the leap motion and how we can use um, hand gesture, gestural control to, to do that. Uh, but again, a very private view of the world, something that is, that is really your view of the world. Um, and it's augmented over this lens that's close to your face. And really all that's happening here is we're bringing the mobile device closer and closer and closer to the retina, to the point where it just sits on the retina at some point in the future, I imagine. Um, but it's a good example, I think, of how you can, these technologies can be a little bit more focused than just, than just the kind of Google view of, of, of what it's going to be. So these are some of the themes that we've started to extract from AR. So we're finding that it's a great tool for simulation, a great tool for imagining things that aren't there, a great tool for hijacking space, a great tool for actually revealing the world around us and, and, and layering data that we can't see actually back over the world where it makes most sense. 
a way of confronting people. So when you look at something and you present it with something that really that really contrasts what you expect to see, then it's a way of actually confronting. And these are all good learning opportunities. Every one of these these themes really are a learning opportunity for us to tap into as, as educators. So confronting somebody is a real strong memory that is created for that person that helps them to actually learn 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 something. So that can be something as simple as looking at a, a Mars bar or a can of Coke and and it's swapping the the ingredients to actually you know to show you really what the effects of those ingredients are on you um, and confronting people with the damage that that's doing or or, or whatever message you want to attach attach to that. Um, and in terms of opportunities, we we really kind of excited about this shift away from desktop learning to this mobile space and this not just the mobile space but the connected mobile space the mobile as in mobile plus the bits that are attached to it the gps the compass the 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 um the cameras the accelerometers all the pieces that go around that and how those how the device can tap into those those technologies to help us understand the world around us so a lot of people will be familiar with the quantified self and the, the use of mobile devices for tracking your heart rate and your and you, you, how fast you run. I'm looking at Ian here because I know he's a, a big fan of, of running with a mobile device because you, know, you can track your distance, how long, it, how long, how far, how often you've run. You can track your heart rate and build up this data set about how, how you're performing in your training. Um, that's, so those are all learning opportunities, every one of those, you know, actually learning about yourself learning about the health, your health and fitness. Um, and that's a long way away from these learning systems that we've worked with for the last 10, 15 years that have really just replicated traditional learning, learning that, that's existed before. That tends to be ob learning objectives and resources that we build, and we, wrapped, we, we, we kind of wrap them in topics. We group them together into topics, and we take those topics and we put them into units, and we take the units and we align them in courses. We take the courses and we put them on an LMS and we take the LMS and we stick it in a browser. We take the browser and we expect people to sit at their desktop and, and, and experience all this stuff. That's about as far away from reality, from the actual real experience of, of learning. as we could, we, we, We've just connected the real experience of learning from reality in, in a really abstract way. Um, so I'm really excited about what that offers in, in terms of taking us back into situated learning. Uh, and where those learning opportunities occur. We're wrapping up AR Studio in October with an ebook, and that's going to be released publicly, freely through OLT. Um, so I'll make sure you register if you're interested in, in picking that up. Um, it's at arstudio.edu.au. Uh, freely distributable, everything we've produced, our exemplars, case studies, the apps that we've produced are all freely distrib distributable. Um, they're all under Creative Commons, so they go on beyond us in that way. And I've probably talked for way too long, yeah. <laughs> but it was good. It was a good. Um, so we've got about just just ten, say five, ten minutes, just to to. Um, I want to just show a couple of, of the actual examples of AR, just and then I'll leave this available for you to come and try because we've got a whole stack of iPads and and, and examples of what this and how this actually works. Um, so I'm going to switch over to something that you can see. So the, um, the, the I'm going to show you just a couple of apps really, and then after really offline we can we can get involved in, in exploring this further, and we'll leave all this available for you to to, to, to try out yourselves. Um, 
this, this app is, is one that was produced by NASA, and what sits behind this is Unity uh, 3D, which is a development tool for, for, ga for game, uh, game design. Um, it's actually a, a really good example of AR because it, it works really well every time. So I like to show this because it, it's the most reliable of all of them, which suggests that there may be a little bit of unreliability in AR because it is a new technology. But I think that's a, that's a good thing. So you see what it's done here is it's rendered a, a 3D model on the space in front of me. And that's a marker that's sat on the floor in front of me here. Uh, that model's rendered in 3D. So it's detected the image marker worked out the corners of it, the plane that it's on, and rendered a 3D object on top of that. And that object's interactive, so I can raise the mast, I can turn the thing around, so I can interact with that on my device here, and you can see how that's, how that's moving. So in terms of simulations, you know, if you were teaching people about uh, engineering and you wanted them to explore complex engineering models, um, this would be a way of actually bringing that to life, giving it some scale, helping people understand really what, that, what size that thing actually is in the room around you, and how would you navigate it, how would you move around it, how would you actually get to the bits that you need to get to. Um, so they're quite, quite useful way, things that you would learn from, from that tool. Okay, another um, app that we've been using is, is an app called Orasma. Um, Orasma is an open development platform. You can sign up now for an account. You can start building your own apps. Um, we've built one just called AR Studio. I've used it quite a lot for just doing some of the more uh, traditional type augments. These are ones where we layer um, uh, video and 3D content over the, the uh, over objects around us. Can I just? up the building so we can actually see there's the building attached to the to the marker now and we can get in close and have a look at that at that building that's out there um, and that's done just using Orasma it's an open development platform you can do this yourself with a 3d model so just jumping around a little bit oh so yeah <laughs> I'm the weakest link in this whole <laughs> chain, really. This was produced by the students from Hawker College, um, and this. cleaning up our filing system on the back end of the development platform. I think that one's been archived. It's one of the first things we did. Just one more example then. This is from the Canberra Museum and Gallery at the moment. If you go down to CMIC in town, there's an exhibit of um, the centenary, a centenary exhibit called Canberra Odyssey. Uh, in that exhibition is a whole body of work um, that you can explore with AR Studio. Um, if I just hold this... Um, so this is a, a news report, 100 years into the future, that was the idea. And this is the person talking about the, the final closure of the Canvas Centre as, as the last retail store moves out of the city and we move into this fully digital world. And um, there you go, you see, last retail outlet closed in Canberra. 
Uh, so this was just a little playful uh, look into the future, really, and we used AR to, to augment that. We also used AR to augment some rock art as well. So we went out to Yankee Hat, uh, out in the Nimadji National Park. We scanned in the surface of the, of the rock there, and we've augmented that into the exhibition. So looking back several hundred years, uh, as a way of actually archiving uh, traditional rock art and then augmenting it back into the gallery so you can actually see that rock art actually as a surface in the gallery. Uh, that's all down at CMAG at the moment if you want to, to, to pop in sometime and have a look. And the app is AR Studio, so you can download that for free and try that out anyway. Um, we've, we've run over, but what I'd like to do is, is really just invite you to, when you, when you get a chance today, come and try some of the stuff out, and we'll stick around to show you. Um, and we're really happy to take questions for the rest of the event today and, and catch up with you in, informally if you want. But I hope that was a, a useful insight into AR and I uh, look forward to, to, to sort of talking more about it in the future. Uh, thank you very much. That's um, um, a great deal of thought and um, and effort that's gone into uh, AR Studio. And as uh, Danny uh, and um, Tim have uh, indicated there, they're very, or Matt, sorry, have, have indicated they'd like to be able to engage with you in a way that um, makes this a, a, uh, an engaging space over the lunch break. So feel free to um, come and ask questions. So we're going to have a lunch break. We do have um, um, perhaps a few questions of people. Would you be able to field sure, those yeah, now? That'd be great. Okay. Does anybody would like to lead a question? Um, I've been to one of your AR studio workshops and never had so much fun in my life. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was great fun. Um, have, you, have you seen much use of the augmented reality in the higher education classrooms? I noticed um, you gave a school example there where they'd augmented a, um, a handbook. Have yeah. you seen much in higher education so far? It's sporadic. <laughs> yeah. So around the, the, the cases we've seen, uh, VIA in Europe, um, which is in Holland, Holland I think, um, are, are using uh, AR in their engineering training. So there's a really good example with a video that I could point you to on that, where they've, they've actually rendered up some, some very complex heating systems that they have to train their students on. Um, and those, those have actually been turned into an interactive system using Vuephoria. Uh, and they've actually in, they've implemented it into their unit as well. So they're actually teaching this as a as a unit. So they've actually got survey data at the end of the unit on whether it was effective or not. And so there's actually a, there's a good example there to look into as of a university that's rolled it out in, uh, as a at a unit level to try it out. Um, and you know, it's part of we did run a um, workshop up in Queensland for the TAFE sector and we had about 15 representatives from TAFEs all across Queensland. It was paid for by the Queensland Vet Sector Training Centre, so that's the centre that oversees all, all the vet sector there. Um, they were really excited about AR and what it means in the training space, so they organised a two-day event for us to go up and actually get in deep, work in detail with their EdTech designers uh, the kind of nuts and bolts level of how this all works. They've then since gone back to their centres. Um, the, pro the, the project was an action research project that we posed to them. So we said, here's the tech, we'll, we'll get you up to speed on, on, on what, what you can do, design some ideas, take it back, 
and then a month later come back and feed back to us. So we've collected all those ideas. So, it, so there are about 15 other projects that have gone out and come back um, that use AR. Everything from, everything from um, teaching hairdressing to um, yeah, it's all being written up at the moment, which is why I'm I'm trying not to sort of jump to it because we're still kind of tr trying to work our way through all that that information. Um, but but that'll all go in the ebook. Yeah, the one I'm just Matt will laugh if I show this now because this is my video they always pull out when people ask about practical applications. Uh, <laughs> So go on then. <laughs> so here's a, a AC unit from Mitsubishi. Um, this is uh, an augment uh, for a trip, but to teach uh, the maintenance schedule for AC units. So it's an augmented video that, that you would hold your mobile device over the AC unit. The device can detect that it's a Mitsubishi unit, not by what it looks like, but by three-dimensionally, by scanning it for key points and tracking those key points in space in relation to each other to work out a point cloud map of what that object looks like. So it doesn't matter if it's in a dark room or if it's in a, uh, you know, in a high up on a wall, as long as it can get enough key points to recognize the relationship between them, it knows it's an AC unit. Once it knows it's an AC unit, it can just layer anything it wants over it. So it does really well tracking. This is using Mateo point cloud to do this. Um, so what you get now is a, you know, a service manual uh, layered over the actual object itself with some real robustness built into it as well. So I think it's a good, good example of, of, of that. Um, Danny, can you, can you ex give the layman's explanation of yeah. the technical architecture behind this? Like how, if we had the capability to develop the app, how would I implement that inside my firewall? <laughs> on a device that could connect inside the firewall. Yeah, yeah. And, and that last diagram is really, really revealing. You know, the one with everything buried inside the firewall, yeah. the browser, the LMS, the topic, the unit. The da -da 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 -da. And that, that's the challenge I think we're all facing is how do we liberate these learning experiences from the, from the, the structures that we've built around them that almost, I hate to say, but almost prevent people from learning. <laughs> I think we're talking about. That's right. So this is the. I mean, if you think about it, this is the appification of learning objects. You know, as each as each app on our device does one thing really well, so each learning experience does one activity really well, and it's almost a appification of learning objects. You think of it like that. You may still need an LMS to structure and sequence and organize and get people in the same place and get them on track and all those things, but the actual activities and experiences might. Yeah, there's no answer. I don't have an answer, but but I think that's where we're heading. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It was hard to get, actually, now you mention it. <laughs> Guys, a really great demo. Just one question. Your second last slide showed something about the connectedness of uh, your apps, etc. Do you guys also look at that Internet of Things and how it's going to affect what you do and how you do it? Yeah, absolutely. The, 
Um, the Internet of Things really is just booming right now. And in Australia in particular, Australia is pretty, pretty up there in terms of the, the devices that are being released. The uh, Ninja Block, which is out of Sydney, which is a connected block that will hook up your RF and Bluetooth and all the sensors that connect to that. I plugged mine in at home the other week. Um, someone rang the doorbell and it registered on my laptop and I hadn't connected the two together. My doorbell just happens to be an RF on the same signal as the Ninja. So these internet are things that are connecting without what I was even knowing, you know. Um, but in the AR space, there's a, I've got a video I could show you uh, from Pachube, um, which was a, a little demo, a sensor. Um, it's actually a sensor that just records temperature and humidity. There it is. Hi, oh, James. Is yeah, James? So, James has a wonderful um, plant sensor that uh, we know about because the plant in James' home emails James at work to say, I'm thirsty, I need water. It's too hot in the house. I need to fertilize you. It's a bit windy, isn't uh, it? This we, plant. We yeah. It's like a Yeah. <laughs> And that sensor sits inside the tub of the plant, but it's connected to wireless networks and sends information back to wherever James is. It's just another example of the connected Internet of Things. What you're looking at here is a marker, exactly the same as the markers we've seen here, detected by an app. The app knows that that marker is going to pull data from a sensor that exists in the world somewhere. That sensor is just a temperature and humidity sensor. What it will do now is, you see the sensor here on this little breadboard that he's, that he's designed. Um, the, the sensor will feed that data onto the web into a JSON library, and it will get, then get rendered out as a data set back over the QR code that you can see in the space. So when he points this thing finally at the, at the page, what you get is the sensor reading from that data augmented back over the sensor. Give it a second to pop up. All will be revealed again. So that data, that actual graph is being rendered live from the sensor block that sits underneath it. So there's the Internet of Things rendering, so the Internet of Things feeding data onto the web back out into the real world again and layered over the real world. It's really quite powerful concept, even though it's a bread box and a, and a you know a Tupperware box. It's actually a very powerful concept that you know if we were looking at um, Heating, the, the environmental aspects of this building, and we, we could we could be rendering that on the walls now to tell us how much heat is being lost in this room, how much energy is being used, how much light is is, 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 is using in kilowatt hours, and, and, and so on. We could then make adjustments to our patterns of usage based on what we actually see rendered on the space around us, so we can improve our, our efficiency if we wanted to, turn the lights out, close the windows, block off the, the sun from outside, and get live feedback from that. It's powerful, very powerful stuff, yeah. Any other questions? I mean, do you have, uh, sorry, there's one, one over here, Alex. Uh, I was very interested to see the um, topic on the art hijacking and was wondering whether you foresee a future whereby space will be allotted and will be like a spectrum of bandwidth in, in the air interface. And so this room belongs to U University of Canberra. I can't hijack it. Um, and 
I can come in here, perhaps use a visualization um, to match against or my location based on Wi-Fi nodes or whatever. Do you think it's going to become hot property like that in the future or it will be completely open and duplicative? So uh, I can come in here and create my space and we can share it. <laughs> Who knows? I, mean, I, I really think it's going to play out like it has done on the web already. In that where people have tried to claim space and then they've gone into long legal battles with the legal systems not fast enough to keep up with with those kind of even the dot com battles from the from the late nineties of you know trying to actually claim back dot coms as a business even those are still playing out ten years later so trying to claim a space a virtual space I, I can't see the legal system being ready for that for like another ten years <laughs> um, what's interesting is the idea of digital litter. And we feel that we get that already. We already have a trail of digital litter that that follows us in our mail, in our in our spam, in our all all this stuff that goes around and goes with us. Um, if we start, if when we ran the first AR camp here, we asked everybody in this room to augment something. We actually did a little project. It left sixty objects in the room, which were almost unnavigable because they're just it's just litter. It's just cluttered litter. We had a project at the. Museum, uh, Australian Museum, um, the Garden of Dreams that sits outside the museum. And Stephen Barras, who's an academic here, asked his students to locate stories in the Garden of Dreams about their experience with with with, Austra with, 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 with living in Australia. Um, so he had hundred students, two hundred students with two or three pieces each that augmented. So over 600 memories in a garden the size of a football pitch, which again is just unnavigable because it's a, just a clutter, a litter of space. So we've got to develop more sophisticated ways of organizing, categorizing, filtering, scanning through large data sets. I mean, there's some good work going on. People like Mitchell Whitelaw, who, who looks at large data sets and suggests that rather than view them through a small little search box where we just type in the thing that we're looking for, show the whole data set and let people use visual recognition to find the thing that they want. So if you show people 600 augments in one space, there may be visual cues that you can pick up in colour and tone and texture that help you get to the one that you want. We haven't really explored any of that yet. We just put a search box on it and hope people know what they're looking for, which is kind of interesting. I think that's lunch. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, and uh, any questions, please uh, approach Danny and Matt. And James, of course. And James. <laughs>